on today's episode, breathing to reduce pain and increase performance with Dr. Amy Novotny. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Thank you for joining me once again, Run Smarter Scholars. I have a great interview today with Dr. Amy Novotny. Uh, I heard her on another podcast talking about breathing and running, and I thought this was a great topic, something I hadn't really covered before and loved what she had to say. So reached out and um, I was lucky, I was blessed that she agreed to come on. So we're going to talk about breathing. We're going to talk about um, the nervous system and we're going to talk about running performance as well as like pain, pain and injury as well. So the whole relationship between all of those factors and what you can practically do if you are in pain to settle down, if you are running and encounter a pain, what you can do to kind of settle that down and if you're not in pain, what you can do, what breathing strategies and cues you can use to help your running performance and make you really efficient and almost as like relaxed as you can be. And we also get through a fair few patron questions. Um, so thanks to all the patrons for submitting those. I think we had like maybe four or five questions that we cover all to do with like nasal breathing and different breathing strategies and getting like side stitches, those sort of things. So yeah, I know you're going to enjoy this one. So let's dive in. Dr. Amy Novotny, uh, thank you for joining me on the Run Smarter podcast. Thanks for having me, Brody. I'm really excited to be here and share with your audience. Yeah, me too. I am curious as to how your um, your past and your career has kind of developed to where you find yourself today, because it sounds quite unique. So do you mind filling us in on how that progressed? Sure. Yeah. So I, I actually started in ecology and started with research projects and actually published a paper in ecology. So that was kind of where I got started loving life. And then I switched over to my doctoral program in physical therapy and I completed that. And from there I started working in a clinic, just doing sports orthopedics, kind of a little bit of chronic pain, physical therapy. And about five years into that, I started taking some coursework when I became a director of a clinic and it looked at asymmetries in our body and those asymmetries, how they influence how well you can move, which leads to restrictions or mobility, and as well as pain. And also there's asymmetries in our diaphragm, which has an influence on our breathing. So I did that for a while, and then at the same time, I was running marathons and training to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And I was on a treadmill, I started experimenting with my own breathing. 
I started looking at it and thinking, okay, what happens if I breathe this way or breathe this way? And what happens if I drop my rib cage down? And it kind of just all came together. I breathed a certain way and all of a sudden I just felt relaxed in the middle of running. It was as if my legs were moving and my torso was just in this relaxed kind of floating state and all those typical runner issues, you know, tightness, maybe IT band issues, piriformis, everything just kind of alleviated. And I got off the treadmill and I was doing eight mile treadmill runs a couple times a week at a seven minute mile pace. And I got off the treadmill, I didn't have any issues. I was just like, wow, I don't need to stretch. I don't need to roll. I don't need to scrape. I don't need to do all those things. And I realized it was more than just the breathing, but I was learning how to calm down my nervous system, that fight or flight nervous system, which calmed my muscles. And I didn't develop that tension that we all develop when we're in a high stress event. And even running on a treadmill at a fast pace, which that was fast for me, it was, it's a stressful event. But if I could calm myself in the middle of that, my pain went away. My body went back to neutral. And from there, I basically started practicing on patients and I started developing a technique. And then I got hired to travel around the world with, from, with a world famous photographer to keep him out of major surgeries, a couple different surgeries. And when I did that, I finished up with that after six months, ended up in Antarctica, then came back to the States and started my own business and started working with people internationally all over the world and teaching this. Wow. You, you kind of cover a, a few things. Previous listeners of the podcast will know that I am a big fan of like talking about pain, like the relationship of pain and like the biopsychosocial relationship and that whole thing. And so you, you've got the pain side of things, you've got the breathing side of things, and then you have the running side of things, which is like this interplay, which suits perfectly, which is why I wanted to get you onto the podcast. Um, if someone's not familiar with this kind of relationship with the nervous system and breathing and um, operating in that, that kind of interconnected relationship, do you mind probably describing to them what, how it is so connected and what the relationship is like? Absolutely. So if you think about that fight or flight mode, okay, it ramps us up. If a, if a house is burning, guess what? You're going to be ramped up to try to flee and get out of there. So that's your fight or flight nervous system. That kicks in with all different stressors in our life. It doesn't have to be a burning building. It could be something as someone's yelling at you and your nervous system's going to kick in. Or you have a, a deadline in your job, your nervous system kicks in. When that happens, it changes the way your muscles work. Your muscles start to tighten, they contract without your awareness. Sometimes you can feel it, you feel tight all over, you feel buzzed. A lot of times you don't know that's happening. And so over time, those muscles learn to contract, but they forget how to relax because we're not consciously aware of it. And then once that happens, and if your body is not in the ideal position, your bones are not in the ideal position, and you have muscles that are contracting, eventually the muscles contract enough to pull the bones and the joints out of position. And that usually happens when you have some big stressor in your life that just shows up, you go to sleep, the next day you wake up and all of a sudden, oh, you have back pain, or oh, my hip, or knee, or whatever it is in your body. And so that process happens over time, and then you're like, wait a second, I woke up, I didn't injure myself, I didn't do anything new, where did this pain come from? Or maybe you go out and run a marathon and you're emotional but you've been kind of stressed with work and relationships and you go run a marathon 
and it pushes you over that edge <clears throat> and you can't drop down from it. And so it turns into pain because you can't relax your body back enough into neutral to get that nervous system to calm down. So everything is mobile again. And so that pain starts to develop and it becomes chronic because you've had enough stressors to get above a threshold that you can't pull yourself back down and you can't feel it calm back down. And I've seen this in the worst case scenarios. And I mean, bone on bone people. You may have some older runners that are listening here that, you know, you're told, oh, okay, if you run forever, you're going to have knee pain and knee arthritis. I'm telling you, it can be bone on bone. And it's not always related to arthritis. More times than not, actually, I don't even know if I've seen any times where it's only arthritis that's causing the pain. It's typically the nervous system is ramped up enough, the muscles have pulled to cause a change in your bony position, causes tissues to pinch together to relate to result into pain. And if you can reverse that by saying, okay, I'm gonna calm down my nervous system so it stops telling the muscles to pull, the muscles learn how to relax, the bones go back into a normal position, tissues stop pinching. Does it need to be so physiological with the change or position of muscles or bones? Can it just be the the heightened nervous system producing like a sensitized state and then therefore producing like levels of pain that doesn't necessarily need to have a muscle out of place or a pinching or those kind of those kind of terms that you use? Anything is possible, but I'll tell you, even people who say they're completely fine in their body, if what happens is you can't dissociate the two. So if you have a stressful mental impact, you know, something going on stressfully, if you have an emotion and you have a feeling, your body has to respond. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this all the time. He's a great person that talks about how your mind influences your body and vice versa and your thoughts and all that. But he was just even talking about that there's proof that as soon as you have an emotion and you feel something, your body's gonna respond. So anytime someone comes to me in with pain, and even if they're saying, oh, I didn't do anything, and it's just, I, you know, I had a stressful event, I lost my job. I have felt in their body that there is a change in their muscles in result of that mental stressor. Because by default, when you have a mental incident of some kind, the muscles respond. That's part of that kick into fight or flight mode. So anything you perceive that's not happy, great, or, you know, fulfilling to you, anything that's perceived negative or a threat or a fear, your body responds. That's how we are built. It's a primal kind of response. Okay. So I think the, um, when we're talking about types of pain as well, um, people will say like, what about if I've rolled an ankle or what about if I've had low back pain for 10 years? Or what about if I do have, if scans do show there are some degenerative changes in my knee Do like all of these types of pain have the same interconnected sort of relationship with the nervous system and with your breathing and with your brain is, or are there different approaches to those different types of pain? They're all interconnected. So you can approach it however you see fit. You can go to different practitioners who are going to approach it differently. So you can go to a physical therapist or physiotherapist, and they may have you stretch or do some joint mobilizations or strengthening. A chiropractor might twist you to adjust you. 
And those are all external applications of ways to try to get the nervous system to calm down by either stretching muscle fibers that it's an external force that's applied to it, but really what you want is an internal change. So for instance, like an ankle sprain, obviously there's torn tissue there. There's gonna be some swelling, there's gonna be some fluid buildup. And I've done this in the middle of a 50 mile trail race where I've fallen, twisted my ankle, stand up, my ankle swollen, my knees bleeding. Yes, there's physical trauma there. And so I, eventually I want to address that, but I have 10 more miles to run in the Zane, Zane Gray 50 mile race here in Arizona. Now I could either just stop or I could calm my nervous system down to get my muscles to work correctly so they don't go into an overprotective response and I can finish the last 10 miles of that race and end it sprinting, which is what I did. And I teach other people to do this. So at the end of that race, yes, I calmed myself down. I got myself working the correct way, but I'm still gonna have to address the pain related to the swelling from the tissue tear. And if the tissue was partially torn, there are nerve pain receptors in that partially torn tissue that, have, that of course will allow, you know, you're gonna have some pain related to that. If it's a full rupture, then, you know, the nerve may be ruptured, you may not have that pain signal. But for the most part, a lot of it is that neuroprotective response that guards you. And I've done this time and again, acute rotator cuff tears, same thing, couldn't lift their arm above their waist. A couple days later, got them completely overhead. MRI show, show tears. It's the same thing. Bone on bone. Yes, you've had that for a long period of time. But once you calm down the stresses and you get them to feel, and that's the key, you have to sense it and feel it. Once you feel that, let go, your body changes positions and you change the way that you hold yourself, the impingement stops, the pain goes away. And I can't tell you, I've done this with 80 year olds. I've done this with kids. Everyone is the same. It really depends on how much your stressors have built up over your life. That's not to say if, you know, if you have a laceration from a knife on your arm, obviously that's gonna be a different type of tissue. If you guard yourself, yes, you can reduce that neuroprotective muscular response used in the breathing, but you're still gonna to have to address the, the open wound. I had um, previously on a podcast, I had Dr. Izzy Smith talk about, we're talking about like under training and uh, over training and under recovering. And she mentions that whether you are doing physical stress like exercise or whether you have emotional stress like, like an anxious state or worry or fear, mm -hmm. it releases the same hormone in your body it releases it releases the same types of hormones that trigger that fight or flight response and if people recognize that you recover and you adapt during the recovery phase when your body switches into this recovery mode and it's unable to switch into this recovery mode if you then if you go for a run but then after the run when you're meant to calm down and recover you're stressed you're anxious you've got um, just like these highly strung emotions that can't let go and your body's just constantly in this fight or flight mode so it can't recover and therefore you're under recovering or overtraining and that can lead to a whole bunch of these overuse type of injuries. Um, is that kind of like this, the same examples of what you're describing when it comes to the, the, I guess the muscles staying switched on and unable to switch off and relax and therefore 
the breathing kind of helps switch you into that that recovery mode and therefore that's when the magic can start happening yes yeah, so it's very similar when you're doing endurance training so if you're training for a hundred mile or an ironman or anything like that and you're doing repetitive workouts every single day if you don't take the time after those workouts to feel your body calm down and feel it relax then you're going to start with tightened muscles that are in a contracted state because when you're doing something let's say you go out for a five mile run your nervous system is learning to turn those muscles on and they will stay turned on unless you can after your run you literally calm them down and it's not just breathing that does it and that's the key here it's breathing plus changing your body position that's where the true magic happens to release because when you change your body position that changes the way you breathe and you can sense muscles releasing that you couldn't sense before and then you learn how to activate other muscles that you didn't even know you could activate and that's where all the magic happens and can I give a quick example real quick to kind of give people an idea so if imagine it. thank you imagine you pick up a bucket of water you're holding this bucket of water and you look at your arm you can see your biceps muscle in your upper arm you know popping out like pop by the sailor man okay you voluntarily did that you put the bucket of water down you can see your arm muscle go flaccid and soft and squishy now let's say i pick that bucket of water up and i'm holding it up i'm looking at my bicep and all of a sudden i hear a loud bang and I think there's a gunshot going off and it terrifies me. Okay. Now, if I put that bucket of water down, my arm is not going to go completely flaccid. Neither is the rest of my body because I jumped in response to that loud noise. That's sympathetic tone. That's a reactionary tone into the, to something that generated fear in me. If I can't figure out what that noise is from and I think someone's coming in my house, I'm going to stay heightened. There's going to be emotions with it. My nervous system is going to shift and now I'm going to start to keep that way. I'm now in high alert protective mode. That's sympathetic tone. That's what happens to us on a daily basis on a different scale. So if you know you run a red light or someone flips you off or whatever it is, your boss yells at you. All of that is the same type of sympathetic tone I'm talking about when you perceive something as a stressor. Now, if I go and I realize, I look out the window, oh, that was a car backfiring. I'm completely safe and I know that now. I can say that and clear myself mentally, but now I need to clear my body because my nervous system switched to turning my muscles on without my awareness to get me ready to run for my life. But if I haven't cleared my body now, I'm still going to have some residual and that's what happens to people who have any type of trauma abuse any type of long distance running you can clear your mind through meditation through counseling through therapy through all the different modalities to do the mental and emotional work but if you haven't if you don't clear your body and get it to learn how to release that sympathetic tone that's when you start to shift that's when you start to layer upon layer move towards pain move towards inflexibility feeling like you have tight hamstrings, all of those things. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. 
This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Yeah, can I maybe clarify something that you talked about beforehand? Um, sure. You mentioned that like a bone or a muscle maybe like change its position and therefore that's why you're getting the pain. And I, I try my best as a therapist to try and de-escalate a lot of like fearful language when it comes to mm-hmm. someone being in pain. Um, mm-hmm. When you're using that example of a bucket or someone who flips you off and you're in this constant uh, state, mm-hmm. the the muscle itself, when you talk about change in position, are you talking about like a change in tone where the muscle stays in position, but it's just tensed the entire time? Or are you talking about something a little bit more um, severe than that? So I'm glad you asked about that. Thank you. So I'm actually talking about by position, I mean the bones, how you position your rib cage. So how you position your rib cage and then all, everything else that's attached to it will determine if your muscle's in the correct now now muscle position to be able to relax and to contract. So for instance, if my chest is up and my shoulders are pulled back and my suck my gut is sucked up and in, I've now con- I've now lifted up the front of my rib cage and my back muscles, my low back muscles are going to contract to hold me there. So now I've changed my position out of neutral. And so that's going to set up a cascade of things that happen. So that way, when I'm talking to people about pain and describe all this, I can say to them, guess what? I see that your position is this. I'm going to have you change the way you hold your rib cage. Can you feel what happens to your back? And when they do, it's very empowering. And they realize they did it themselves. And they can change their pain in a short period of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that's like if the, if someone's listening to this, just so, sort of imagine that as the, the muscles are attached to the bone, especially the ribs, because the ribs are kind of like floating. They're kind of um, very easily manipulated to pulling muscles. They change their position when a muscle pulls on that type of structure. And I just thought I'd clarify because I see a lot of people that... I guess, misinterpret a lot of this language and a lot of people say, come to me and say, I've got a rib that's popped out or something. Well, ribs don't really pop out. It might have that sensation of a rib popping out, but the, the pain severity that they experience or the interpretation they give that uh, really escalates their, their behavior and their like sense of pain just because they've just misinterpreted something somewhere. Um, So I guess that's really important. And Moving on from that, if someone is a runner and they do have, uh, if they are in this constant state where they're maybe the muscles are quite tense and then things are maybe bringing them into a non-ideal position, what are some breathing cues either, um, well, let's just say while they're not running, what are some breathing cues that you do as a therapist working with them in clinics to, to help with that? Right. So what I do with people, it, there's, a, there's a long process, but just very simplistic. First, we would start with people sitting and have them sit all the way back in their chair. And this is going to go against very many people. So allow your low back to relax. Get rid of that lumbar support that pushes your back out, that pushes your, or I guess pushes your back forward. 
You wanna get rid of that lumbar support. Let your low back relax, let your tailbone curl under you. As soon as you do that, you're gonna to start to feel a change in your low back. Then if you look down, you want your feet flat on the ground and you want your knees at the height of your hips or slightly higher. If your knees are lower than your hips, you need to put something under your feet or lower the chair down. That will help get you into a more relaxed position. And from there, we can start going through a breathing process, which will feel counterintuitive at first. But once people start to feel it and can practice it, you, you feel your whole body just let go. And basically what you wanna think about, you wanna breathe in through your nose, you pause a second, blow out through your mouth as if you're blowing out candles on a birthday cake, and then pause and hold your breath for four seconds. Now the key is when you are blowing out, you wanna let your belly button come out and your chest drop in. That's hard for a lot of people who have been taught to suck their belly in as they blow out. And the reason we don't do that is because when you suck your belly in, when you blow out, that's going to lift your rib cage. It's going to put you in fight or flight mode. And if we want to relax our body to get it to calm down, to release, we have to let the rib cage drop down and your belly comes out. And it's very soothing. And I've done this. I've put people to sleep on Zoom, put people to sleep in person because it just calms the body down and they just let go. So it's a lot of fun, but it, it does take some yeah. practice. And, but you can start to feel this wave where as you're practicing, your shoulders relax, your rib cage drops down, your chest goes in, your armpits gain space as your ribs drop down. You feel your low back let go, your butt cheeks open up, and you just feel this wave go through you. And as you're doing this and you're practicing in a seated position, you get the feel for it. That's the key is you have to feel it. Mm. I think I can definitely understand that a lot of people are like it, they're unconsciously tense and they have no idea. They feel like when they're sitting, they feel like they're relaxed, but then you have cues like this to think about this way. And then all of a sudden, like, like you say, their shoulders drop, maybe their stomach relaxes and they didn't realize that they were tensing through their shoulders or they didn't realize they were subtly activating through their stomach when they were sitting. And so it can be quite foreign to actually have go through this process and really calm themselves down. And so I think it's um, worth the listener if they are sitting or if they're standing trying to just have a bit of internal awareness around where their muscles are tense because it might not be this conscious thing. It might just be a very, a very, un a very subtle, unconscious um, behavior that they might just be used to and how they're used to operating for years and years. Um, do you kind of see that when you talk someone through this process? Do, do they kind of have the realization like, I had no idea I was so tense? Exactly. Most people don't have any awareness that they're so tense they often don't realize that they're holding their breath or that they're breathing in and sucking up their gut. Most people have no idea. And I guarantee you, even, even people who are extremely flexible will go through this process and get them to truly relax. And even them, they're, they're shocked because now all of a sudden they can feel their low back muscles relax. And I say this is kind of funny when you feel your back muscles relax, it will feel like you're about to lose your pants because we go through life clenching our backside to keep our pants up because most of us, when we were kids, you're afraid of someone pulling your pants down. 
but we clench back there without even realizing it's very, very subtle. When you feel your back let go, it's this tingly release and it feels like your pants are going to fall off and they're not because they, you know, your hips are wider, but it's still incredibly shocking for all of us to just realize I can let go. It's so empowering. Mm. And is this the same process if someone does have chronic pain, whether they've got like a running injury or low back pain, they've had it for several months, several years. Do you just talk them through this same process in order to have that, that calming effect and that kind of pain relieving effect? Yeah. So the, the breathing that we were just talking about and this effect, that's just the very tip of the iceberg. So once you learn how to breathe and calm yourself, just generally sitting, then we have to start to put you in different positions, lying down on your hands and knees, standing up on your side. And then you start to learn how to use your body all over again. So for instance, for runners, a lot of times we have that runner's knee pain. It's because you don't know how to feel your hamstrings without using your back. Your tip, your pelvis is tipped forward. Your rib cage is flared up in front. So we have to change all of that. So what we can do is put you on your back, maybe put your feet up and then teach you how to one, do that breathing on your back, then teach you how to activate just one hamstring, not both, one hamstring while your back relaxes and your rib cage drops down into neutral. And all of a sudden when a person can feel that and can feel their hamstring close to their knee, activate, and feel their back relax, feel their butt relax, it's a game changer because now they have a different type of control over their pelvis. And when they're out running, all of a sudden I can say to them, okay, when you feel your right knee pain, I want you to make sure as you blow out, you strike your right heel on the ground, feel your hamstring, within a couple minutes your pain goes away. And we do this, and so any type of pain that comes up, you can learn, okay, I know if I'm having right hip pain or left hip pain, I know that I need to activate this muscle as I'm blowing out, calming my ribs down, my belly comes out, pain goes away. And this is how you can run a marathon 50 mm. miles pain-free. And this is how you get people out of chronic pain because you have to shift their body into a new position. But it all starts with calming them down through the breathing and then learning how to use their muscles differently to hold them into neutral so their body frees up from that pain. Yeah, I can see if with someone learning those strategies just in sitting, um, they really need to kind of nail that before they can progress to trying to do those strategies while running because I can see how that would just be a, a big transition. And uh, I guess um, Dimmer asked a question here and I think we're kind of half answered it, but let me just ask it again just in case we want to elaborate on anything. Um, so Dimmer asks, are there different breathing strategies when dealing with pain while running versus pain when not running? And so I think we've already answered that, haven't we? Yes. So you, yes, you want to learn this sitting and not running, but when you run, you're going to modify it a little bit when you're running. Like if you're doing a fast run, most people can't get enough air in just breathing in through the nose. So you may breathe in the nose and in the mouth at the same time. And then when you blow out, you want to blow out through your mouth. Now, that, of course, you have to modify it because you're running, you're going to need more oxygen, but it's still, it's very similar. And your application of this will just shift a little bit to allow you to run to do it. But there is a process, but you really need to have it solid sitting and standing and walking first. 
Yeah. How about breathing strategies to help with like sleep, help people get to sleep and help with switching them into recovery mode? Is it again the same process? It's the same process. And when we're working on sleep or recovery, there are certain things I'll have you focus on. So your breastbone, very critical to calming you down. So if you're going to practice this to help you sleep, you want to calm yourself down and really feel your breastbone melt in. And the thing to consider is if you're ramped up all day long and you feel and you have this tension throughout your body all day long, just because you close your eyeballs and say, okay, I'm sleeping, it doesn't mean your body knows how to let go because your nervous system has been programmed to stay turned on. And so then people wake up in the morning, they feel tight because the nervous system said, well, I've been told to tell these muscles to contract all the time. Well, since you're not moving and you're, some people, you know, toss and turn, but let's say you're sleeping and you're not really moving as much, your muscles just continue to get tighter and tighter because they've been trained to contract. We don't, may not feel it so much when the daytime because we move around. So we don't, aren't as stationary unless you're sitting in front of your computer all day. Then you go to get up and you're like, oh, I feel tight. It's the same thing. It's the nervous system controlling the muscles. So if we want to sleep better and fully recover and relax, we need to spend some time during the daytime calming ourselves down, freeing up our body. So when we close our eyes, our body can learn, okay, it is okay to let go. It is okay to fall into sleep. Mm. I think in the past, like usually I fall asleep quite easily, but there's been some times when um, falling asleep is like, I, I just, for whatever reason, can't fall asleep in that particular night. And what I do is I try to breathe out slowly, like take a breath in and then trying to really slow down my exhale. But as I'm exhaling, I try and tell myself to relax my face muscles. I don't know why, but like just try and get my face as relaxed as I can. For some reason, the rest of the body does that as well. But the way you're talking about that, it seemed to make sense because you're just trying to switch things off, trying to internally process the muscles and making sure they're in a really relaxed state. Um, I've also heard that if you slow your exhale, that triggers more of that parasympathetic nervous system, like when you breathe out compared to when you breathe in. Do you Have you seen much around that or do you um, follow those same guidelines? Yeah, so a couple things. With the whole facial relaxation, so our jaw muscles are often recruited uh, in our fight or flight nervous system. So when you're relaxing your face and your jaws, that's going to help you also relax. And then, yeah, so in the breathing process, we want the inhalation to be very gentle and it's going to be shorter. And then when you exhale, you want to breathe out longer because we want to get your breath to come all the way out. And the longer you're exhaling, the more you're reshaping your diaphragm and the more you're going to kick in that parasympathetic mode because your rib cage is dropping down, your back is relaxing, you're stopping the, the crunching of your fight or flight mode in your back. So yes on all that. Okay. And um, Terry asks as well when it comes back to running, how about nasal breathing while running? Is any asked, is there, um, does it limit the oxygen intake to an extent where you're paying the price for muscle fatigue later in the run? So therefore is, is it actually worth it to, to nasal breathe? What are your thoughts around that? Actually, if you compare mouth breathing versus nasal breathing, nasal breathing will give you greater oxygen uptake because it stimulates 
a nitric oxide production, which is gonna vasodilate and it's gonna actually help oxygen uptake. So you really want nasal breathing when you're running. You may not be able to get enough in through your, your nose so you can open your mouth as well, but you definitely do not wanna be mouth breathing because it actually decreases your oxygen uptake. It's not so much as how much oxygen gets into your lungs, it's how much gets from your lungs across the border into your blood that matters. So we want to maximize that exchange of oxygen into your blood. And so that means we need nitric oxide to be produced. So we truly want nasal breathing. And then when you exhale, you want to, I say blow through your mouth because the reason I say blow through your mouth as well as your nose, especially with running, is we wanna get our side abs to pull our ribs down to help our diaphragm get into a better position. Mm. I think it, it runs counterintuitive with most people because they think they the actual volume of oxygen that can get in through their mouth seems to be like a lot larger because obviously the mouth is a lot larger and you can just picture a, a higher volume of oxygen coming in through the mouth as opposed to the, the nose. But what you're saying is the, the way the body works and the way it's organized is that you when it comes to air coming in through the nose, you're actually utilizing that oxygen better and it's getting transferred into the bloodstream and therefore that oxygen is being used more efficiently than if you were breathing through the mouth. Is that right? Okay. I had, um, I had Dr. Rachel Zofnes on who is a pain specialist and there was a question in her interview which I want to repeat with you. And I tried to look back through it to find out who actually asked it. I can't, I can't for the life of me find it again, but I think it was Jill. Anyway, um, she asks that when she is running, she's been told that if she does get a little bit of pain here, or a little bit of a niggle here, that she was told to just breathe into that area. And then she said, almost always the pain goes away. And she wasn't entirely sure why. And I asked Rachel and she was a little bit unsure um, of it as well. And so I think this question is right up your alley. Um, how does that make sense? Well, what's your response to that sort of question? So a lot of times when we think that we're breathing into an area where it's, we associate breathing with calming and with relaxation. And so by breathing into an area, you're actually thinking about the muscles having to relax to be able to receive air. So you're actually telling your nervous system, okay, I need to relax that area because if I'm gonna shove air or breathe into that area, those muscles need to let go. And the other thing is with breathing and with breath work, if you're getting the diaphragm to work, you're stimulating the vagus nerve, which calms you down. So part of it is her focusing on that area, but part of it is her focusing on the breathing, which both together can calm that area down and help release it. Now, if that continues over the long term, you, she may be able to see if she can reposition so that doesn't happen anymore. But that phenomenon, yes, people do that all the time. And it's, it's a great way to do it in a simplistic way. Yeah, great. Um, the last patron question is from Rachel and she asks, sometimes I get stitches, so like side cramps, side stitches, without eating or drinking. Uh, 
and she asks, am I breathing too shallow? Um, what are your thoughts on that experience? So sometime with, with side stitches, and I imagine she's talking about she went out for a run and she didn't eat or drink beforehand. I imagine that's what the question yes. is about. Okay. So that can, so the side stitches could be that your diaphragm is pulled over to one side or another. So often, a lot of times it's on the right side. And what we need to do is when we blow out, hit your left heel on the ground and blow out and try to drop your left ribs down and it pulls the diaphragm back over to the left. It, it repositions it back into neutral and you can feel the side stitches go away. And I've done this in the middle of races and told other people as I'm running by them what to do. Because, and I've done this to myself. What happens sometimes is if our rib cage gets out of position or our diaphragm gets moved over to one side because maybe we've sat crooked or we've run in a pattern where we use one side versus the other more, you can get off kilter or she gets up in the morning, she's sleeping, she's off kilter, she goes out for a run and she's not fully relaxed and that can happen. Or if she hasn't eaten or drunk anything, she might, her nervous system might be ramped up if she's hungry or thirsty, it could be any of those things. So there's any sort of triggers that could set her nervous system into fight or flight mode or slightly pull her out of position and if she works on blowing out while the heel strikes on the opposite side, it helps reposition your diaphragm and it calms it down. Okay. And you're saying the most common shift is towards the right. And so breathing, mm -hmm. breathing out while contacting with the left side would help correct that shift. Yes. Be yes. Because you want to hit your left heel on the ground, which stimulates your left hamstrings that pulls your pelvis into neutral and makes it easier for your left ribs to drop down which then pulls your left diaphragm down and it pulls it over. If someone's listening to this podcast while running, because I know a lot of them do, I think there has been some running coaches or like form coaches or someone who's concentrating on their technique to kind of feel like they're engaging their core or like activating their core, activating their glutes while they're running and constantly having certain cues to, to switch on. Um, if you, if you had a runner who's not in pain at the moment, but they wanted just to be uh, efficient and they wanted to increase their performance and do so effortlessly, what is some cueing that you instruct them on in order to help their running performance? Sure. So the, this is fun to work with people on this. What I talk to them first is stop tightening up your core and shrink wrapping your body. <laughs> stop doing that. Because as soon as you tighten everything up, you're gonna lose your mobility and then you're gonna to have to force your arms and legs through a resistance. So instead of sucking it up all in in, again, let your rib cage drop down, let your belly button go, but you can learn to use your side ribs to hold your ribs down, your side abs to hold your ribs down. And when you do that, and you can breathe and your lower ribs are not flaring up and out, all of a sudden you can feel your low back relax enough that your pelvis, like your butt cheeks, your glutes, you, all of a sudden you can feel them differently. And so when you run and you swing one leg forward and you feel your heel hit the ground, your hamstring kicks in, your other leg comes up, all of a sudden you can just 
feel your glutes, you can feel your hamstrings, your quads, you can feel your calves, you feel them move differently. It's, it's very much almost like this synchronized swimming, like everything is just very flowing. It's truly, you're running and you can just feel things kick in while everything else loosens up on the opposite side to swing forward and you get into this pattern where it becomes very easy and fluid and nothing feels hard. Your breathing stops being hard. You're not holding everything tight. All of a sudden you can feel your legs swing forward and it's effortless and you feel the correct motions. So, but it takes some practice to get there because we are all taught, and I mean, I was taught this in my doctoral program, you know, tighten up that core. Everything is about this stability and everything really tight. And I say, no, we don't wanna train ourselves to be tight. We wanna be stable, but mobile. We want the body to be able to move with fluidity, but also stability. So when you put your leg down, your leg doesn't, your knee doesn't wobble in or out, but you feel it being stable, but your other side can be nice and loose and just comes right through. So it's very helpful because, you know, most runs are not just on a flat ground right in front of you and just straight. A lot of times it's sideways. If you're on a slope, you're, um, you know, on a trail, you want to have that ability to move and just flow and just allow your body to, to adapt to the environment but also be strong and stable at the same time. And the more you can feel something let go, but the opposite side kick in, the better off you're gonna be at injury prevention. And as soon as something starts to get tight, you can address it right away. Hmm. Would you agree if I was to say that you don't really, like if you're running, you don't really need to consciously activate things. Like if you're consciously trying to activate your core, then it's just like, an overactivation. You don't need to consciously activate your glutes. When you contact the ground, the body's going to do what it does. You're not going to fall on the ground and just collapse if you try and relax. <laughs> your body's just naturally going to do the, the right amount of activation that's required of it while trying to be as relaxed and efficient with the other side, say like with the swinging leg um, or like through the core. And it, it keeps you upright, like you say, that stability. But just keeping you in the most relaxed state to provide that stability. Would that make sense? It does make sense with a couple exceptions. So yes, like you're saying, you're relaxed, you're just gonna move. Now, that's ideal if we can get you as a kid and keep you relaxed all the way to an adult. <laughs> but a lot of times that we're stuck in a certain position that we don't even know how to relax. That's part of that awareness that we don't know something's tight. So in that sense, if someone goes out for the run for the first time and they haven't trained or they don't, they haven't done it in a while or they've been stuck in a certain position, they may not know true relaxation of their body. And so that's when a pain can creep in. So then that's when we say, okay, now we're going to focus on those hamstrings just for a couple minutes until the part of your body that was tight, likely you're over your low back can relax enough that your hamstrings take over, then you can go back to ignoring it. So there's occasions where we have to say, okay, I'm gonna focus on my hamstrings. I'm gonna focus on my inner thigh muscle because my outer hip on the opposite side, ugh, I just can't get rid of that pain. Okay, well that means my inner thigh, I need to kick in and feel that. And then once that, that pain goes away, okay, I can feel that side relax and then whoop, now I can go back into that free flowing state. 
Yeah, that's great. Is there, I think I've written down a couple of things to, to end this, like around myths, misconceptions, mistakes, and like any other yeah. final takeaways, which I think I might start asking more and more with a lot of the guests I have on. So mm-hmm. uh, apart from all the other content that we've covered today and all the other insights and breakthroughs, are there any other myths or misconceptions when it comes to pain, when it comes to breathing and running that you often see um, that we need to kind of address in this topic? Yeah, so first with pain, I like to tell people pain is a signal from your body to your brain that something is out of position. It is a very valuable tool that our body uses to communicate with our brain and to bring us to a consciousness about something. If we can change the way we look at pain as not, oh no, I have a pain, what did I do? Into, oh, my body's giving me a signal and an opportunity to shift how I hold it and how I move and how I use my nervous system to get myself out of it. That's a very productive way of looking at pain because it's truly what your body is doing for you by having that pain signal. The worst thing that we can do, you know, some people have that condition where they can't feel pain and it's a horrible existence because you get hurt because your body can't give you that signal. So if we can start saying, okay, I got pain. Okay, that means my body's off somewhere. That's amazing. Now, in terms of breathing, a lot of misconceptions with breathing is we're not getting enough air in, but we're actually overinflated and we're not getting enough air out. And if we can think about, okay, if we can let our belly button go as we blow out, we can drop the ribs, we can change how our breathing works. And that one helps us with oxygenation. It helps with muscle fatigue. It helps us with flexibility, but it also helps us with the pain. And you can use all that when you're running. So, and this is kind of goes in with your question. If I'm in pain and I don't recommend this to everyone right away, unless they've learned this process, if I'm specifically in pain, I go out to run. So a lot of times we hear the, the idea, okay, if you're in pain, don't go run. I say, no, I go out to run because I use this breathing when I'm running and I can calm my nervous system down faster and elicit a change in my body's position faster when I'm running than when I'm, when I'm walking and I can cause a shift. So when we do have pain, and I say this with a caveat, If you know this process, you can calm yourself down quickly to get yourself out of pain. You can also do it with walking or there's various exercises or positions that we put you in to get you out of it. But really look at pain as a signal. There is something in you that is just not in the right position. If our body was once pain-free as a kid, we can get it back there. We just need to have the correct guidance and tools to get there one of the the things i forgot to ask when you talk about that breathing is rachel always also asked about that power breath device um and whether that does anything to strengthen up the lungs and strengthen up for for running performance um what's do you have much insight on that Mm -hmm. so i've never used it so i'm putting that out there i've never used it but i did look at their website and i see that you put it in your mouth and you work on inhaling against resistance. Mm-hmm. So, and then I also looked at some of their research articles and the research articles, I don't know if they specifically use that device. They didn't say that. They just talked about in, 
inspiratory muscle training, which can be done in different ways. So they're using some of these articles and, and I wasn't clear, clear on if that device was actually used because it didn't say it in there. Now, in terms of breathing, we want to get air in our nose as much as possible to really maximize our health we want it to go in through our nose and here's why our nose warms our air it helps us moisturize our air it helps uh, clear bacteria and viruses and other things that go in as well as stimulate nitric oxide which i talked about earlier there's i'm sure there's other functions that i can't remember at the top of my head but when you have the nitric oxide production, that vasodilates, so that increases your blood vessel, the openness of your blood vessels. It enlarges them to help you with blood flow. It helps you get oxygen through your body. If you think about it, your nose has all those little hair cells. It helps filter things. When you breathe in through your mouth, and if you're training yourself to breathe in through your mouth, you don't have that filter. You don't have those air particles, you don't have those hair cells that are helping trap things. You don't have the nitric oxide production that actually serves as a antimicrobial. When you are training to go in through your mouth, you don't have all that. And the other thing is, so this device, you can say, okay, well, if you're using this device, it's in your mouth. If you're training to use your mouth to breathe in a whole bunch, that's your resetting your nervous system to do that. So I caution that with that device. I, again, I haven't used it, but I caution because I want to replicate what I want to do on a daily basis, which is breathing in through my nose. And I would rather breathe in through my nose and learn how to strengthen my lungs that way because that's what I need to do as much as possible when I'm running or exerting myself or even just existing. So that's why I would caution about that device. Really talk to your doctor about it. Really think about what is it serving when you're doing that? And is it, is, are the benefits of doing it that way enough for you that you, you want to take away from breathing in through your nose? Yeah, I think that's well said. And I would agree with that as well. Um, how about mistakes? Are there any mistakes that you see runners make or people in pain make when it comes to these particular strategies or the way the strategies that they may, they may be implementing? Yes. And I'll give an example and this is a hard one to break. When we're in pain or we're, we're runners, we love to lift up our, our ribs. It's a, it's a guarded response. I was running back-to-back -back marathons a couple years ago, and I ran one marathon in one state, and then the next day ran another marathon next day in the next state. And I was on the second marathon, and there was this gentleman there, perfect specimen. I believe he was from Africa, Ethiopia or somewhere. Perfect specimen. I mean, perfect body, everything. And he passed me early in the race and I'm just running and, you know, I'm just going along and I'm working on my breathing and about five miles left into the marathon, I see him walking and he has cramps in his legs and he is just struggling. His rib cage is really elevated and he's limping along and I, I didn't stop to say anything to him at the time because I was trying to finish the race. And once I went through the finish line, typically they kick you out of the finish area, but I decided to just hang off to the side because my cousin was coming behind me. And I see this runner come through and he crosses the finish line and he is in pure agony. And so of course, all the medical personnel 
approach him and he's screaming out his leg, his quads, and he's just, he's not with it because he's in so much pain. So they rush and bring him a wheelchair and they're calling over doctors. And I slip over into this crowd of people around him. I just put my hand on his chest and I whispered in his ears. He's not looking at me because he's grimacing too much. And I said, I want you to follow my instructions. I said, I want you to breathe in. Now blow out through your mouth and melt under my hand. And his chest dropped down and blow out. And he, he could follow me. And I had him do it. And within 30 seconds, all of a sudden he popped his eyes open and he said, Oh my gosh. And I just clo I just quickly moved away because I wanted to be able to watch my cousin finish finish the race. And he stood up and he said, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And he started walking around. He's like, wow. All the cramps went away. All the pain went away. And the medical person are like, wait, what, what just happened? And his friend who's on the other side of the finish, on the other side of the fence at the finish line says, hey man, don't you, do you need help? He's like, no, the pain went away. He's like, all the cramps, everything went away. And he's like, where's the food? I want food. And he took off. He didn't need anything. <laughs> and he didn't even, I don't even know if he was fully cognizant of what I did with him and if I was even there because he was so out of me in so much pain. But what I did was I shifted his rib cage down. I dropped his breastbone in. It calmed his nervous system down. His pelvis went back into neutral. He was sitting so his low back could relax. Pain went away. The cramping stopped. And it didn't have to do with his nutrition. It didn't have to do with his food. We know a lot of cramping. It doesn't have to do with nutrition or, or food, but it has to do with your nervous system misfiring and you being out of position. And all we did was his rib cage just got it to drop back down and to change the way he breathed. And I coaxed it with my hand and he shifted. I mean, it literally is like a light switch. So when you're in that pain and you're running, look at your rib cage. How much are you sucking your gut up and in? It can truly turn off just like that. It happens time and again. And it's hard to believe until it happens to you. And then you'll get the goosebumps and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But it truly happens. And it's hard to express that. And this is why I like talking about it and sharing it on podcasts and in platforms like this because it works and I have people time and again they're like you've got to tell everyone about this and I'm like I'm trying so I say that if when you're in pain <laughs> when you're out there running just let your rib cage drop down learn that if nothing else belly out ribs down nice and any final takeaways I know there's tons of takeaways already but um any other lessons or any other tidbits for people as we wrap up so I would say a couple things is when you go throughout your day, watch how much you hold your breath. Just start becoming aware. Watch how much you suck up your gut. Watch how much you sit on the edge of your chair instead of letting your low back take a break and calm down by sitting all the way back. Please try these few things. I really beg people because you can change your health so much. It affects every aspect of your health and your ability to run better. This affects nutrition. It affects your energy level. I've worked, I've done this with NFL players, professional football players, where they're ramped up. They did traditional physical therapy for a year after a surgery. They were so ramped up, they couldn't get everything. I taught them this, their whole motion came back within hours. They were back to normal. 
This stuff really works and it is very counterintuitive, but just give it a chance. Wow. I think there's, it goes to show the power of the nervous system and how much we can manipulate this sympathetic, parasympathetic and like the, the powers it can have through that. And if someone's highly anxious um, and in chronic pain or they're just really wound up and they want to know how to take advantage of this nervous system, it seems like the breathing and these techniques are just the gateway to help access and manipulate the nervous system and therefore like i know a lot of the runners like almost every runner they're either in pain or and they want to decrease that pain or they're not in pain they want to increase their running performance and using that example of that gentleman who was had muscle cramps and um had a lot of significant pain later he may not have started the marathon in pain but if he recognized the the breathing kind of mechanics and the strategies then that would for sure in that time, increase that his marathon time and his marathon performance. If he realized all those lessons beforehand and didn't get to the state where he's just like really wound up, really tight, really cramped up and in a lot of pain. And so, yeah, uh, this is going to, thanks for coming on and sharing that kind of relationship between all of those moving parts, all of those mechanics all at once. Um, you do have a website, which I'll link in the show notes. It's um, PARB, which is the pain awareness breathing relief yes p-a-b-r yep. yes okay got it yes <laughs> and um so that I'll, I'll link to the website and i'll link to your instagram and facebook as well which is under the same name um is there any other links or any other things that i should include or anywhere you want someone to go if they want to learn more about the these strategies yes absolutely so i also tell people connect with me through email amy amy at paberinstitute.com p-a-b-r institute.com. I do free 15 minute consults. So if you're not really sure where to go with this, I can, we can set up a consultation. That's sometimes a little bit faster. We can go through a lot more than through email. And if you need free resources, I can direct you through free resources, a private Facebook group, or if you want to do one-on-one consultations, we can determine what's best for you. But ultimately it's, it's your journey. And if I can connect with you, even if it's just say, hey, hi, that's okay. We just have to get you the correct resources that you will actually use. That's the important thing. So that's an available mm. offer to your audience. Just let me know that they've heard me on your podcast. Yeah, great. I think this is going to change a lot of people, no matter what type of runner they are. I can kind of see the runners that always have these niggles popping up here and there, like it's a knee and then it's a hip and then it's a calf and then this could radically change their running. And I also see the the runners who have the same type of injury or they've had chronic pain for one specific injury for, you know, several months. And this could be a, a radical change for them as well. And so I want to thank you for coming on, sharing the information to the runners and changing a whole bunch of different runners as well at the same time. And like I said, trying to connect this relationship between the nervous system, the breathing and the running. Um, it's right up the alley for the podcast. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Thank you for having me, Brody. I really appreciate you allowing me to share. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons 
who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.